0: Merry Christmas to all and all. I hope we'll go to the oldtimeradiodvd.com site and take advantage of all the great sale pricing that is there. I have cut the prices as low as possible. I know that these collections are the best on the market, whether classic TV, movies, cartoons, cliffhanger serials, old-time radio, and also the Extreme Platinum are all on sale and cut as low as possible. Profit is good, but knowing that these collections are finding loving homes is what's important share with your family your children or your friends oldtimeradiodvd.com your source of the best Christmas gift ever oldtimeradiodvd.com
1: it's past midnight what in heaven's name do you think I must speak to you Rachel you'd better come in before you wake the other servants Well, Mr. Brenton, and what do you have to say for yourself that can't wait till morning? I, uh, I had to see you.
2: <sighs> your fancy woman's thrown you over, she...
1: Rachel, please. There's never really been anyone else but you. You have a strange way of showing it. I, uh, <laughs> I know I don't deserve another chance. But when you realise, when you look into your heart and find there's only one person you really love, then... You have to ask for that chance if necessary you will even beg for it because you know because i know i love you rachel i always have i always will I... i don't know what to say there's only one thing you have to say that you give me that chance that you won't turn me away that you will let me love you? Oh, yes, 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 yes. There now. There. there, Oh, Rachel, I've missed you so much. So much. Hush now. Hush. We don't want to wake Mr. Musgrave do
2: we?
0: The Musgrave Ritual by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle dramatized for radio by Peter Mackey with Clive Madison as Sherlock Holmes and Michael Williams as Dr John Watson and featuring Robert Dawes as Reginald Musgrave. The Musgrave Ritual
2: An anomaly which often struck me in the character of my friend Sherlock Holmes was that although in his methods of thought he was the neatest and most methodical of men, he was nonetheless in his personal habits one of the most untidy. With me there is a limit, and when I find cigars in the coal scuttle, tobacco in the toe-end of a Persian slipper, and unanswered correspondence transfixed by a jackknife into the very centre of the wooden mantelpiece, then I begin to give myself virtuous airs. His papers were my great crux, for he had a horror of destroying documents, especially those which were connected with his past cases. One winter's night, as we sat together by the fire, I ventured to suggest that he might employ the next two hours in making our room a little more habitable. With a somewhat rueful face, he went off to his bedroom, from which he returned presently, pulling behind him a large tin
3: box. Oh! Oh. Uh. Give me a hand, would you, Watson? Yes, of course. Uh, the box seems to have caught on the, the edge of the carpet. You just push from that end. Right. The when you are. Right. Now! Oh! <laughs> 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 are you all right, Watson? Oh, yes, I think so. Good. Ah,
2: no bones broken, anyway. Yes. That must <laughs> be stronger than we thought, eh,
3: Holmes? <laughs> oh, no more than we deserve for trying to box clever. Mm hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh. Oh. Oh, box cover. Yeah. Oh. Oh, really, Holmes.
3: Oh, I right. do apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Not required. <laughs> oh. Box cover. Yeah, it wouldn't do for Mrs. Hudson to come in just now, eh? Lying on the floor like two naughty schoolboys. Oh, I wouldn't do it at all. Although I do suspect there may well be something of the naughty school girl in Mrs. Hudson's steady on Holmes. I mean, mm. Do you think so? Mm. Mm. Anything's possible. Yeah. Yes, I suppose it is.
2: Mm. Oh, I must say, this carpet is really rather comfortable.
3: Mm. And kind to the knees.
2: You know, Holmes, you really are quite impossible at times. Mm. Uh, Don't doubt it. I'm supposed to be clearing out the room making it worse by cluttering up with that box of yours
3: you should be aware watson that this box is about to play an important part in the evacuation of the so-called litter you complain of oh really by discarding some of its contents i shall make room for those very papers which seem to offend your passion for tidiness
2: i watch with interest yes please
3: do please do Uh, (laughs) the case is enough here watson (laughs) if you only knew what was in this box (laughs) Records of my early work.
2: Really? Hmm. I've often wished I had notes oh, on that.
3: Yes, all done prematurely before my biographer had come to glorify me. <laughs> uh, not all successes, of course, but there are some pretty little problems among them. <clears throat> ah, yes, the Tarleton murders. Nasty business. Vanbury the wine merchant. Clever man, clever. Hmm. The old Russian woman. Well, 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 well. Oh, the singular affair of the aluminium crutch. aluminium crutch. Uh, Yes, aluminium crutch. (laughs) Ricoletti of the club foot and his abominable wife and... uh... Ah, now, this really is something, a little recherché. Mm. Box within a box. What are you made of the contents? Mm. I see now. Crumpled piece of paper...
2: Fashion brass key. Mm -hmm. A peg of wood with a board string attached to it. Uh And
3: three rusty old discs of metal. A curious collection. Yes, well, the story that hangs around it will strike you as even more curious still. These relics have a history, then? Mm. So much so that they are history. (laughs) They're all I have left to remind me of The Adventure of the Musgrave Ritual.
2: Oh, yes, I seem to recall the name.
3: Hmm, I may have referred to the matter.
2: If it's all the same to you, Holmes, I shall be glad to have an account of it now.
3: Yes? Well, and, and leave the litter as it is? Oh, no, surely the strain would be too much for you to bear, Watson. Hmm? <laughs> ah, well, I should be glad if you'd care to add this case to your chronicle so there are points in it which make it quite unique in the criminal records of this, or, I believe, of any other country. When I first came to London, I had rooms in Montague Street. You can hardly realise how difficult it was then to establish myself as a consulting detective. And so, as the British Museum was just round the corner, it was there I waited, filling in my too abundant leisure time by studying all those branches of science which might make me more efficient. As luck would have it, however, I happened to be at home on one of the comparatively rare occasions on which I had a caller, Reginald Musgrave, whom I'd not seen since we were undergraduates together four years previously. Good to see you again Holmes. How has all gone with you, Musgrave? Well, you probably heard of my poor father's death. Yes, I am. Sorry about 2 years ago, wasn't it? Well, I suppose it must be. Hmm. Since then I have of course had the Hillston estate to manage and as I am a member for my district as well my life has been a busy one. But to you Holmes? I understand that you were turning to practical ends, those powers with which you used to amaze us? Oh, party pieces. It was nothing more. <laughs> Nonsense. What about the time... Oh, now, what was the fellow's name? Stanton, that's it. Hmm. Harry Stanton. He would have been out on his ear if it hadn't been for you. I was able to throw a little light on the affair. A little light? You only unravelled a mystery which was beyond everyone else. Still don't know how you did it. <laughs> In answer to your question, yes, I have taken to living by my wits. I am delighted to hear it. For your advice at present would be exceedingly valuable to me. I am at your service. Uh, please do sit down. Oh, thank you. Well, we have had some very strange doings at Helson, and the police are about as baffled as I am. It really is the most extraordinary and inexplicable business. Perhaps you would care to recount it? You must know that, though I'm a bachelor, I have to keep up a considerable staff of servants at Helston. It's a rambling old place and takes a good deal of looking after. I preserve, too, and in the pheasant months I usually have a house party, so that it would not do to be short-handed. Altogether, there are eight maids, the cook, the butler, two footmen and a boy. Of these servants, the one who's been longest in our service is Brunton, the butler. (laughs) Always uh, as a butler. Uh, Yes. yes. He was a young schoolmaster out of a place when he was first taken up by my father. But he was a man of great energy and character... and he soon became quite invaluable in the household. Handsome fellow, too, with a splendid forehead. Though he has been with us for 20 years, he cannot be more than 40 now. Extraordinary chap. Very gifted, speaks several languages... Plays just about every musical instrument you can think of. Oh, really? In fact, it's just amazing that he should have been satisfied so long in such a position. A paragon, indeed. But this paragon has one fault. He's a bit of a Don Juan. Ah. It was all right when he was married, but since he's been a widower, we've had no end of trouble with him. A few months ago, we were in hopes that he was about to settle down again, for he became engaged to Rachel Howells. And she is? Our second housemate. Yeah but he has since thrown her over for another. Rachel, who is a very good girl, but of an excitable Welsh temperament... Ah, the Welsh. She had a sharp touch of brain fever. Now she goes about the house, or did until yesterday, like a black-eyed shadow of her former self. That was our first drama at Helstone. May I have a cigarette? Oh, my dear fellow, please help yourself. Thank you. Uh, I'll join you. You you say uh, that was the first drama? Yes, but the second came to drive it from our minds, and it was prefaced by the disgrace and dismissal of Brunton. Hmm. (coughs) One day, last week, Thursday night to be more exact, I just couldn't sleep. Rather foolishly, I'd taken a cup of strong café noir after my dinner. About two in the morning, I gave up the struggle and went to fetch the novel I'd left in the billiard room. Having descended a flight of stairs and reached the head of the passage leading to the gun room, you can imagine my surprise when I looked down the corridor and saw a glimmer of light coming from the open door of the library. Naturally, my first thought was of burglars. So, having armed myself with one of the old weapons that decorate the walls, I tiptoed down the passage and peeped in at the open door. Brunton was sitting there in an easy chair, fully dressed, with a slip of paper which looked like a map upon his knee. A map? I stood dumb with astonishment, watching him from the darkness. Suddenly, he rose from the chair, walked over to a bureau, unlocked it, and took out a second paper from one of the drawers. Then he returned to his seat and began to study it with minute attention. What is the meaning of this, Brunton? Who? Oh, Mr Musgrave, sir, I was... Uh... You choose to examine our family documents like some thief in the night. Do you have an explanation? I, uh... That is no, sir. Sir, so, this is how you repay the trust we have reposed in you. You will leave my service tomorrow. But, sir, Mr Musgrave... That will be all. Did you hear me, Brunton? Yes, sir. But,
1: Mr Musgrave, sir, I... I can't bear disgrace, sir. I've always been proud above my station in life, and disgrace would kill me. My blood will be on your head, sir, it will, indeed, if you drive me to despair. If you cannot keep me after what is fast, then, for God's sake, let me give you notice and leave in a month, as if of my own free will. I could stand that, Mr. Musgrave, but not to be cast out before all the folk that I know so well.
3: You don't deserve such consideration. Your conduct has been most infamous. However, as you have been a long time in the family, I have no wish to bring public disgrace upon you. A month, however, is too long. Take yourself away in a week and give what reason you like for going. Only a week, sir. A fortnight, say, at least a fortnight. A week. And you may consider yourself to have been very leniently dealt with. Very
1: good, sir. Good night, Mr Musgrave.
3: Tell me, what was on the paper Brunton took from the Bureau? Well, that's what was so odd about the whole business. It was nothing of any importance at all. Uh, Let me be the judge of its significance. Uh, Of course. (laughs) It was simply a copy of an old observance called the Musgrave Ritual. It is a ceremony peculiar to our family, which over the centuries each Musgrave has gone through on his coming of age. I see. Please, go on. For two days after this, Brunton was most assiduous in his attention to his duties. I made no allusion to what had passed, and waited with some curiosity to see how he would cover his disgrace. On the third morning, however, he did not appear after breakfast to receive my instructions for the day. As I left the dining room, I happened to meet the maid, Rachel Howells. Good morning, Rachel. Morning, sir. Rachel, is there something wrong? N- no, Mr. Graves sir. Let me take a look at you.
1: I- I'm quite well, sir.
3: Not in my book. You're dreadfully pale. I'm not so sure you've recovered from that illness of yours. You better take yourself off to bed. Come back to your duties when you are stronger.
1: I'm
2: strong enough, Mr Musgrave.
3: We'll see what the doctor says. You must stop work now. And when you go downstairs, just say that I wish to see Brunton.
2: The butler's gone. Gone where? He's gone. He's, he's not in his room. No one's seen him.
1: <laughs> oh, yes, he's gone.
3: The girl was taken to her room, still screaming and sobbing, while I made inquiries about Brunton. There was no doubt that he had disappeared. His bed had not been slept in. He had been seen by no one since he had retired to his room the night before. And yet it was difficult to see how he could have left the house, as both windows and doors were found to be fastened in the morning. His clothes, his watch, and even his money were in his room. But the black suit which he usually wore was missing. His slippers, too, were gone. But his boots were left behind. Boots? Uh, Presumably a search was made of the house and the grounds. There was no trace of him. I called in the local police, but without success. Then came a new development which quite drew our attention away from the original mystery. For two days, Rachel Howes had been so ill, sometimes delirious, that a nurse had been employed to sit up with her. On the third night after Brunton's disappearance... The nurse had apparently dozed off and woke in the early morning to find the bed empty, the window open, and no signs of the invalid. We followed her footmarks across the lawn to the edge of the mere, where they vanish close to the gravel path which leads out of the grounds. The lake there is eight feet deep, and you can imagine our feelings when we saw that the trail of the poor demented girl came to an end at the edge of it. Indeed. I had the lake dragged at once, of course, but we could find no trace of the body. I'm not surprised. Hmm? Uh, However, what we did bring to the surface was an object of the most unexpected kind, a linen bag, which contained within it a mass of old rusted and discoloured metal and several dull-coloured pieces of pebble or glass. This strange find was all that we could get from the mere, and although we made every possible search and inquiry yesterday, we know nothing of the fate of either Rachel Howell's Or Richard Brunton. The county police are at their wits' end. And I've come up to you as a last resource. Yes, excellent. Uh, Let us see if we cannot piece together this extraordinary sequence of events and devise some common thread upon which they might all hang. And yet I suspect that of all the factors in this case, not one of them gets quite to the heart of the matter. In what way? We must get to the starting point of this chain of events. There lies the end of this tangled line. Uh, do you have a copy of that paper, Musgrave? Yes, but uh, I doubt if it will help. Oh, your butler thought it worth consulting, even at the risk of the loss of his place. Well, It's, uh, it's rather an absurd business, this ritual of ours, but it has at least the saving grace of antiquity to excuse it. As you can see, it's in question-and-answer form, a strange catechism to which each Musgrave had to submit when he came to man's estate. Hmm. Uh, whose was it? his who is gone who shall have it he, he who, who will, will come, come. Hmm. where was the sun over the oak where was the shadow under the elm how was it stepped north by ten and by ten east by five and by five south by two and by two west by one and by one and so under and uh, what shall we give for it All that is ours. Why should we give it? For the sake of the trust. Yes, a strange catechism indeed. The original has no date, but is in the spelling of the middle of the 17th century. I'm afraid it's of little help in solving this mystery. Well, at least it gives us another mystery, and one which is even more interesting than the first. You'll excuse me, Musgrave, if I say that your butler appears to me to have been a very clever man and to have had a clearer insight than ten generations of his masters. I hardly follow you. The paper seems to me to be of no practical importance. But to me, it seems immensely practical. And I fancy that Bronton took the same view. he had probably seen it before that night on which you'd caught him. Very possible. We took no pains to hide it. He simply wished, I imagine, to refresh his memory upon that last occasion. The other piece of paper you saw was no doubt some sort of map or, or chart which he was comparing with the manuscript. But what could he have to do with this old family custom of ours? Uh, What does it all refer to? I don't think we should have much difficulty in determining that. (laughs) Well, with your permission, we'll take the first train down to Sussex and go a little more deeply into the matter on the spot. And what spot was that? Hurlstone. Aye. You may have seen pictures or read about the place, Watson. Mm. It's quite a famous building. Yes, I was there once. Built in the shape of an L, as I remember. You have it, yes. The longer arm is the modern portion, with the shorter being the ancient nucleus from which the other was developed. But just how ancient? 1607. At least that's what's chiselled over the old doorway. But experts are agreed that the beams and stonework are really much older than that. But it was the enormously thick walls and tiny windows that drove the family into building. The new wing and the old one was then used as a, a storehouse and a cellar, when it was used at all. There was a splendid park, too, with fine old timber, and, and the lake, as I recall, lay about, oh, uh, well, two hundred yards from the house. Yes, yeah, a beautiful spot. Uh, by now, I was convinced that if I could read the Musgrave Ritual aright, it would give me the clue that would lead to the truth concerning both the butler Brunton and the maid Howells. And it was to this that I now turned all my energies. Mm-hmm. The question that still vexed me, however, was why should this servant be so anxious to master the old formula?
2: Mm, Presumably he saw something in it from which he expected to gain personal advantage. Exactly.
3: Now, it was perfectly obvious to me when I read the ritual that the measurements must refer to some spot to which the rest of the document alluded. Further, that if I could locate that spot, I should be a fair way towards finding the secret that the old Musgraves had thought it necessary to embalm in so curious a fashion. Two guides had been given, an oak and an elm. As the dog cart, bringing us from the station, proceeded up the drive, there was no doubt in my mind as to precisely which was the first tree referred to. For there, right in front of the house, stood a patriarch among oaks. There it is, Musgrave. What a magnificent tree. <laughs> uh, it wouldn't surprise me if that was there when your ritual was drawn up. It was there at the Norman Conquest, in all probability. It has a girth of 23 feet. Uh, yeah. Certainly one of our fixed points secured. Yeah, I just need the elm now. Whoa, there! Whoa! Whoa, whoa! Steady, boy. Steady. There used to be an old one just there. Oh. <laughs> Struck by lightning ten years ago when we cut down the stump. You still remember where it used to be, then? See for yourself. Ah. It's quite scar. There are no other elms. No old ones? I suppose it's impossible to find out how high this tree was. Sixty-four feet. Huh? How'd you come to know that? When my old tutor used to give me exercises in trigonometry, it always took the shape of measuring heights. Ah. When I was a lad, I worked out every tree and building on the estate. Well, Lucky for us, you did. Tell me, did your butler ever ask you about the height of the tree? Well, come to think of it, yes. He did. Some months ago, mind you. Said it was in connection with uh, some little argument with the groom. Excellent. Oh, we seem to be on the right road tell me, Musgrave, it's late afternoon. How long would you say it will be before the sun lies just above the topmost branches of the old oak? About an hour? Probably less. Yes. which means that one condition mentioned in the ritual would then be fulfilled. Where was the sun? Over the oak. Where was the shadow? Under the elm. The shadow of the elm must mean the farther end of the shadow, otherwise the trunk would have been chosen as the guide. We have them to find where the far end of the shadow falls when the sun is just clear of the oak. A bit difficult now the elm is no longer here. Brunton could do it, so can we. Come, Musgrave, we've some preparations to make. I suggest your study would be a suitable place. Meanwhile, I should be obliged if you'd send for a six-foot rod, two wooden pegs, and a ball of string. So, Musgrave, if you'd stand exactly where the elm used to be... Right. You have to keep the rod as upright as you can. Of course. Now, if I take the string and lay it along the line of the shadow to here, uh, let's see now. One, two, three knots, nine feet. Uh, I think the arithmetic's fairly simple. Have a rod of six feet throws a shadow of nine. A tree of 64 feet would throw one of 96. Do you agree with my calculation? Uh, certainly. Yes, and if you would be so kind as to peg this end of the string at the foot of the elm while I measure out the distance in line with the... Oh, uh, I Need a bit more slack, Musgrave. Five. There it is. 15, 15, 15, 15, 16, 8, 29. Yeah, Everything all right at your end? All secure. All uh, right. thirty one and thirty-two. And a peg. <clears throat> right. yeah, over here, Musgrave, quickly now. Well, 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 well. Huh, found something, Hopes. Yes, take a look at this. Where's that? I'm on the ground, just where i placed my peg. Well, looks like some sort of depression. Well, it's as if... Well, as, as, as if someone's placed a peg no more than two inches from my own. Brunton! Mm, that may well prove to be the case. Now, at this point, if I remember right, the ritual said it was stepped. Yes, yeah, so how was it? Uh, North ten by ten, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. So if the sun is setting... Mm. I took the precaution of bringing my pocket compass, which tells me, yes, our path lies in this direction. So, one, two, three, four, five... Six, We're going parallel seven, to the house. Eight, nine, ten... Well, oh, just think. Seven, we could be close five, to solving the riddle that's puzzled my family seven, for centuries. 15, 16, 17. Now, as long as that throws some light on your two missing servants. So this is 18, 19, 20. Now, peg this point, would you, Musgrave? Right. Good, good. Now, compass, compass, compass. To the east, I believe. By five and by five. Five, very well. Two, three... Four, five, Straight to the original six, part of the house. Seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah. South. Huh. I'll open the door for you.
2: Uh, by
3: two and by two, and finally by one and by one. Well, nothing. Nothing but a flagstone. Oh, even worse, a flagstone that seems to be firmly cemented down and has certainly not been moved for many a long year. So Brunton has not been here? Mm, I'm beginning to have my doubts, and and yet I'm I'm still not convinced. The old part of the house. The fact that Brunton was following the same route. What what, what are you looking for? That's hollow flagstones, cracks, crevices, anything that might suggest some sort of hiding place. Well, I'd better check the manuscript again. Though I don't see how we could... Ten and by ten, east five and by five. Well, we couldn't have made a mistake there. South by two and by two, that brought us to the door there. Well, that must have been right. Uh, I do not doubt it. We can hardly have erred on the final instruction by one and by one. No. I propose we examine every flag in this corridor. Uh, Perhaps you'd care to give me a hand, Musgrave. Musgrave? And under... By one, and by one, and so, so under. Of course. Well, I tell you, there's a cellar under here. As old as the house itself. Down here. Through this door. Right. Stairs are a bit narrow, so watch your step, Holmes. <laughs> Look, I'd better go first. Oh, can't have been down here for a year or more. As far as I know, it's only used for storing wood. Oh. Okay, get careful now. You're on the last step. Right. Better stay there. Now, as I remember, there used to be a lantern over here. Ah, oh, yes. Shan't be a moment. There. The light of the lantern showed that the cellar room was indeed used for the storage of wood, but the billets, which had evidently been littered over the floor, were now piled high at the sides so as to leave a a clear space in the middle. Mm -hmm. In this space lay a large and heavy flagstone with a rusted iron ring in the centre, to which a thick shepherd's check muffler was attached. Mm -hmm. And despite my anxiety to get to the bottom of the mystery without further delay, I suggested that two representatives of the county constabulary be called before making any attempt to lift the flagstone, for, as Musgrave was able to confirm, the muffler attached to the iron ring had belonged to none other than Brunton. The missing butler. Watch your step, Middleton. At last. Seems to be a light at the bottom. Is that you, Sergeant Harris? Oh, Mr. Musgrave, sir. I said you were down here. Uh, this is Mr. Holmes from London who's been making certain inquiries on my behalf. Oh, how do you do, sir? Harris. Ah, I think we can proceed now, Holmes. Yeah, of course. Uh, well, gentlemen, now we are all assembled, I believe the time has come to reveal what may lie underneath this flagstone. I'm sure Brunton would have no objections to my utilising the muffler he so thoughtfully provided. So, ah, <laughs> uh, I think we can safely assume that Brunton also required Assistant Sergeant Harris. If you'd be so kind. Oh, uh, certainly, Mr. Holmes. Uh, I'm sure that between the... us, uh, a bit more, uh, sir. Uh, that's it. I've got it. Uh, <laughs> Well done. Now if we can just slide it over to... there. Now Musgrave, the lantern, if you please. As Musgrave stepped forward and lowered the lantern through the black hole that the stone had been covering, it revealed a small chamber about seven feet deep and four feet square. At ah. one side of this was a squat brass-bound wooden box the lid of which was hinged upward, with a curious old-fashioned key projecting from the lock. It was furred outside by a thick layer of dust, and damp and worms had eaten through the wood, so that a crop of living fungi was growing on the inside of it. Several disks of metal were scattered over the bottom of the box, Mm -hmm. but it contained nothing else. At that moment, however, I, Musgrave, and the two officers had no thought for the old chest for our eyes were riveted upon that which crouched beside it. Oh, my God! It was the figure of a man, clad in a suit of black, who squatted down upon his hands with his forehead sunk upon the edge of the box and his two arms thrown out on each side of it. The attitude had drawn all the stagnant blood to the face and no man could have recognized that distorted, liver-colored countenance. But when we'd drawn the body up, his height, his dress and his hair were all sufficient to show his former master that it was indeed his missing butler. He's been dead for some days. No wound, no bruising, just... Hmm. Uh, Sergeant Harris, the body. It had better be taken to the mortuary. Uh, You leave that to us, sir. Get hold of his legs, Middleton. It's all right, lad. When you're ready, can I help in any way, Sergeant Harris? If you could shine your lantern on the stairs, for a sir, well, that'd be much appreciated. Of course, I'm sure Mr. Holmes wouldn't mind going ahead and um, yeah, Holmes bring the lantern back here as soon as you can, Musgrave. If I have a mind to learn what that box to... Tell us of this affair. Yes, of course. Uh, I'll be with you as soon as I can. Jimmie doesn't. Why where are you putting your feet? Ah. That. Let's see what we can see. Shall I call some of the servants? I'm sure they're prepared to lend a hand. Yeah, I think we can manage, Mr. Musgrave. Oh. Besides, it is a policeman. Easy, lad. Uh, That's it. If you could just overland lantern a bit higher, sir. Huh? Oh,
2: yes. Of course. That's it. Here we go now.
3: So... One brass-bound box, key and lock, lit open, parallel lines and dust. Probably Brunton's fingers cloying at the... Oh, blast! (sighs) As soon as you can, Musgrave. I can hardly see a thing down here. With you in a moment, Holmes. I think we can manage now, sir. Thank you, Sergeant Hatch. Do hurry, Musgrave. I'm out of matches. Sorry, Holmes. Uh, Everything all right? Lower the lantern, would you? Not the best light down here for a scientific investigation. How's that? (sighs) Ah. Well, ha- have you found something? Yeah, merely that there was something here. A corner of the box there, you see. A slightly darker patch, scuffing round the edges. A quite recent, too. What do you suppose it was? Uh, impossible to say in this sort of light. So, the sooner we get it out of this chamber, the better. Can you reach the other handle? A bit more. That's it. I've got it. Ah. Now push. Oh. There! <laughs> oh. Your turn now, Holmes. Uh, Take my hand, and... uh, Here you come. Uh, ah, Thank you. Now, let's take a closer look, shall we? Musgrave watched anxiously as I spent the next few minutes examining the box for anything that may have escaped my attention in the cramped conditions of the chamber. Mm Mm-hmm. But apart from the rusted metal discs scattered over its base and the indication that some other object had recently lain there, it appeared to shed no light on the mystery of Brunton's horrible death. And I found myself confronted with a problem which was almost as formidable as that with which I'd started. You seem disappointed, Holmes. Uh, I must confess to a certain degree of dissatisfaction in the progress of my investigations. At least we know what became of Brunton. How did that fate come upon him? Uh, If it's all the same to you, perhaps we could discuss that in the garden. I feel that if I don't leave this place soon... (sighs) A few more moments, Musgrave. Undoubtedly, we would both benefit from the fresh air, yet it's here where we stand that offers the greatest chance of bringing this affair to a a satisfactory conclusion. But I don't see how we can... Suppose we put ourselves in Brunton's place and try to imagine how we should proceed under the same circumstances... In our case, the matter is simplified by the fact that his intelligence was quite first-rate, so it's unnecessary to make any allowance for the, um, uh, the personal equation, as the astronomers have dubbed it. Where does that take us? Brunton knew that something valuable was concealed, and he spotted the place. But he found that the, the stone that covered it was just too heavy for a man to move unaided, so what would he do next? I imagine he'd consider getting someone to help him. Exactly. But he could not get help from outside, even if he had someone he could trust without considerable risk of detection. It was better, if he could, to have his helpmate inside the house. But whom could he ask? Of course! Howls. Rageful Howells? none other. The girl had been devoted to him. Although a man always finds it hard to realize that he may have finally lost a woman's love, however badly he may have treated her. Nonetheless, he would have tried by a few attentions to make his peace with the girl, and then engaged her as his accomplice. Together, then, they came at night to this very cellar, and their united force would have sufficed to raise the stone. I, I must take issue with you on that point, Holmes. Raising that stone would have been heavy work for two people when one of them was a woman. Well, I mean, you and a burly policeman found it no easy task. Yeah. Hmm. so what would they have done to assist them? Hmm, probably what I should have done myself. yes. Oh. Uh, w- w- what are you looking for, Holmes? Yeah, a piece of wood. Well, there's certainly enough of that down here. Yes, with a piece... I'm looking forward to Prop- Ah, yes, here we are about three feet in length, and, oh, look here, Musgrave, the marked indentation at the end. Yes, but I, I think... And these pieces, you see where they've been flattened at the sides, as if they've been compressed by some considerable weight. It must have been caused by the stone. It would seem evident that as they dragged the stone up, they thrust these chunks of wood into the gap. Then, when the opening was large enough to crawl through, they held it open with this piece placed lengthwise. That's how it became indented, since the whole weight of the stone would press it down onto the edge of this other slab. Of well done, Holmes. So much would appear to be obvious, but how do we proceed in our reconstruction of this midnight drama? Clearly, only one could fit into the hole, so the girl must have waited above as Brunton went down into the chamber and unlocked the box.
1: Rachel? Here, take this. That's it. Careful now. I'm coming out. Give me your hand. I said give me your hand. What are you doing? For God's sake, give me your hand. I can't get out of here by myself. Rachel, please. Give me your hand. Just give me your...
3: What smouldering fire of vengeance had suddenly sprung into flame in this passionate Celtic woman's soul when she saw the man who had wronged her, wronged her perhaps far more than you suspected in her power. Was it a chance that the wood slipped and that the stone had shut Brunton into what had become his sepulchre? Or had some sudden blow from her hand, dashed the support away and brought the slab, crashing down into its place. That is something we shall never know. Indeed not. But it would explain the secret of her blanched face, her shaken nerve, her peals of hysterical laughter on the next morning. But what had been in the box? I don't doubt it must have been the bag of old metal and pebbles which you fished out of the lake. She threw them in there at the first opportunity to remove the last trace of her crime. And what do you suppose has become of her? Oh, one can only guess at the fate of a soul in torment. But in all probability, she's left England and taken with her the memory of her crime. Look, um, Holmes, well, for what it's worth, <coughs> these pieces of metal from the bottom of the box, I'm fairly certain they're coins. They're pretty worn, of course. Not exactly in mint condition, you might say. They can hardly make out the head at all. But my grandfather built up quite a coin collection, and I have the feeling... Well, it's a bit more than a feeling, really. In fact, I'm fairly certain, even in this light, that they're from the reign of Charles I. Ah. Which means we were right in fixing the date for the ritual. Yes, the ritual. Whose was it? His who has gone. His who has gone. (laughs) You know, Musgrave, I have a feeling we may find something else... Of Charles the hmm. First. Let's go back to your study, shall we? I'm of a mind to have a look at the contents of that bag again. A piece of twisted blackened metal and a handful of dull, lustreless stones. Hardly worth losing your life over, I would have thought. I'm not so sure. In fact, if I give one of these stones a, a rub on my sleeve a bit more there yeah. now a bit of life back into it, wouldn't you say? Oh, well, yes. But what does all this mean? What you must bear in mind, Musgrave, is that the royal cause made head in England even after the death of the king, and that when at last they fled, they probably left many of their most precious possessions buried behind them, with the intention of returning for them in more peaceful times. Quite so. In fact, one of my ancestors was a prominent cavalier, Sir Ralph, Musgrave. Right-hand man of Charles II in his wanderings. Oh, indeed. Well, now, I think that really should give us the last link that we wanted. I, I must congratulate you on coming into the possession, though in rather a tragic manner, of a relic which is of great intrinsic value, but of even greater importance as a historical curiosity. But, but what is it, then? Nothing less than the ancient crown of the kings of England. The, the crown? Mm, consider what the ritual says. Now, how, how's it run? Whose was it? His who is gone. That was after the execution of Charles. Then, who shall have it? He who will come. That was Charles II, whose advent was already foreseen. There can, I think, be no doubt that this battered and shapeless diadem once encircled the brows of the royal stewards. I can hardly believe it. It's incredible. I mean... How could it have remained hidden for so long? Well, the most likely explanation would seem to be that when your ancestor, the one who was responsible for secreting the crown in the first place, when he died, by some oversight, he left the ritual without explaining the meaning of it. From that day, it's been handed down from father to son, until at last it came within reach of a man who tore the secret from it and lost his life in the venture. So, there you have it, Watson. The Musgrave Ritual. Ah, a remarkable story. Yeah, I understand that they still have the crown down at Holston, though I believe there was some legal bother and a considerable sum to pay before they were allowed to retain it. Should you happen to be in that part of the world, I'm sure that if you mention my name, they'd be happy to show it to you. Really? Hmm. Yes, I might. Well, we're... good Lord, hmm? is that the time? Oh, my Dear fellow, I really didn't mean to go on for so long. No,
2: no, 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 it's, it's not that. It's just, well, it hardly leaves you any time to finish tidying up your papers. <laughs> 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 of course, when I say finish, I now realise that you never even started. Now <laughs> <laughs> that really is what I call boxing clever. <laughs> <laughs>
0: In The Musgrave Ritual, Sherlock Holmes was played by Clive Merrison and Dr. Watson by Michael Williams, with Robert Dawes as Reginald Musgrave. Brunton the butler was played by David Bannerman, Rachel Howells by Elinid Jones, and Sergeant Harris by Michael Kilgariff. The violinist was Leonard Friedman. The Musgrave Ritual was dramatised for radio by Peter Mackey and directed by Enid Williams.